You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat Podcast, where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Sal Malafronte, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, really special show in store for everyone today. First and foremost, I'd like to thank my buddy Dan Hennis and the fine folks over at Let's Engage for helping put this one together. I uh, highly encourage everyone to visit letsengage.com to learn more about their platform and how it makes booking talent easy. They're the best in the business. I legitimately can't say enough good things. Uh, we're really in for a treat on tonight's show. I think quite often the tone of my voice during these intros gives everyone listening at home an idea of my connection to certain guests who come to the batter's box. And tonight's hitter is someone who, much like an Al Jardine or a Ken Singleton, is a performer who's very, very special to me and has been for quite some time. Uh, listen, everyone knows I'm a Yankee fan, but I'm really a baseball fan first. And usually the way it works is you fall in love with the game then a certain team, and then, of course, particular players who you look up to as a kid because of their talent and the way they play the game. Uh, very much applies to young kids who love theater as well. I'm sure there's countless folks right around my age who fell in love with theater, Wicked, and Kristen Chenoweth in a very similar sequence, and then uh, eventually tried to emulate her on stage. Uh, much like Kristen, my guest today was the definition of a spark plug for any cast he was on over the course of his 18-year big league career. I always admired how he played the game with such heart and hustle, in addition to just how damn cool he was. At one point, it almost didn't matter that he was playing for the Red Sox. So long as the Yankees won, you didn't care that he was the guy getting three hits off Roger Clemens. I wore Puma sneakers as a freshman in high school because of him. I attempted to grow sideburns as a sophomore once he joined the Yankees. And once I got to college and went to my first game at the new stadium in 09, there was nobody cheering louder than me and Cousin Lou when he ended the game with a walk-off home run against the Twins. A two-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion. He's one of the greatest leadoff hitters of all time. So if you'll please turn your attention to home plate, just be on the marquee. Now batting, Johnny Damon. What's up, Johnny? Oh, not much, man. Thank you for all the great compliments. This That was fantastic. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, it's a bit of a dream come true. I hope that, uh, that you know, listen, I'm not Bob Shepard with these intros, but, you know, I got to yep. uh, got to give some context. You got to start somewhere, and uh, that sounded great. Thanks, Johnny. And uh, you know, you're probably one of the more unique hitters that I've brought to the batter's box because very seldom do I get to talk to someone who I not only looked up to growing up, but you're probably the first guest of mine that can say that they weren't just an all star on the field, but also on the dance floor. <laughs> well. You know, I felt like I should have made it past week one of uh, Dancing with the Stars, but it doesn't work out that way sometimes. But it was such a great experience. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad that it was only a four week max instead of the 10 week because uh, I had to be there for week one and week four. And it worked out perfect. (laughs) Don't want to show too much of my dance skills off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> now how do you get involved in that do they know that you were one of the best dancers you know in baseball for all those years and they reach out to you how does that work well it, it works out because of winning championships in boston and new york you know people want to continue to see you and a really good friend of mine uh joe mobile i 
played high school ball with him. He was Instinct's tour manager and Justin's tour manager. So he had connections with Dancing with the Stars. And he's been asking me for a long time to be a part of it. I know Joey Fatone. Yeah, he came from a boy band and a really good dancer. So he did really well. I actually thought he should have won, but he was able to get a bunch of guys on Dancing with the Stars. And when I heard that it was a four-week uh, commitment, I was like, okay, it's time to do it. Uh, keep my face out there. And it was a great experience. Now, Johnny, you clearly have a great appreciation for the arts. As you know, we are on the Broadway Podcast Network, so I got to ask, did you catch much Broadway while you were playing for the Yankees or even in retirement? Um, very little. I am such a huge fan of music. And obviously for me, um, Rock of Ages um, was the absolute hit. And I went back and saw that a number of times. And just I just love 80s rock and all kinds of rock music. That was a special show for sure. I'm not sure if you saw, but a couple of your former teammates actually went on stage in that show. Cece did it and Teixeira too. Yeah, I did see that and kind of jealous because I love to sing karaoke. My wife and I, every time we're in New York, we get a group of people, we go sing karaoke. And I'm not sure if I could have held Texera's um, note because I believe it was pretty high. Like I'm mostly a screamer, like <laughs> breaking Benjamin style, you know. <laughs> that's the best and let me ask you when you do go to broadway uh do folks in the theater crowd recognize you much or uh are you able to kind of blend in because a lot of them unfortunately don't know baseball well i definitely can't blend in with this i mean this book had a different appeal like once i grew my hair like everybody paid attention and this is only here because of my three-year-old son gets all the attention and you know i wanted to look like him and feel young again like him so uh that's that's why i brought this back but um a lot of people do recognize me um in the broadway circles but um definitely not like the baseball fans now johnny you have a lot of big folks from the music and the broadway world who stop by yankee stadium to sing the national anthem you know chris and chenowitz done it a bunch Derek clenna kelly o'hara did you have a lot of interaction with folks like that while you played here well, Kristen is absolutely great. I mean, we did Martha Stewart together. Uh, you know, my wife showed off her cooking on that show, and she was great to chat with. Um, obviously, she's an absolute star, not just on Broadway, but um, with her movies. Um, and she's funny. Uh, she's a, exciting, and uh, that's why she is a very big success. Much like yourself, Johnny, and you obviously have a lot of talent in a lot of different areas and performed on a lot of different stages, none grander than New York, of course. Uh, you're someone who was obviously really established before you got here. And of course, we know you left the Red Sox for the Yankees after 05. A lot of eyes on you after that happened. And of course, you thrived as a Yankee over the course of your four years here. Was there something about New York City itself and the bright lights that made you raise your game uh, you know, as an opponent and then when you played here? Well, in baseball, you always have something to prove. So um, even when you're a little kid, you got to prove that you're good enough to make the um, junior high team, make the high school team, uh, make the all-star team. So um, 
obviously in Boston, I had to prove myself and I proved myself by showing up every single day in front of those loyal fans and busting my tail, whether it was a ground ball to second base or a uh, um, triple hit into right center. I always busted my tail to break up double plays. And I think that's why the New York crowd accepted me because I played the game the right way. I, and I played the game to win. And it was such a difficult uh, time because I, I'm the fan favorite in Boston. And all of a sudden, there's not a contract. And I'm like, I want baseball to remain important to me. Like, if I went off somewhere else, I, I could care less. But when you're in Boston or New York, I mean, it's important. And um, going to the Yankees and putting on those pinstripes, I mean, uh, they're – were definitely nerves. Um, I wasn't concerned if the um, fans would take me in. I was more concerned about the fans I left because I played with my uh, heart out, you know, and I gave Boston everything that I had. And for me to not go back there, I felt for the fans. I'm like, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's, you know, it's the business and Jacoby Ellsbury is uh, close to being called up to the big leagues. And, you know, center fielders don't normally stay around for too long. You know, you play center field for a number of years and then you move to left or right field or to first base or then to DH. So um, center fielders are always on the move and it's just unfortunate for the fans who grow to love you. And, uh, Going to New York, um, I played the game the right way. I I felt like three of my four years in New York, I was an absolute beast. And I very well think people can say I was the most important guy in the lineup. And um, the way I played um, defensively, I kept on getting worse and worse as you age. And then um, going to the left field and having to deal with those day games with the sun, you're like, oh, no. Like where, where's the ball? Like that's the toughest thing because I, I knew I could play um, the outfield still, but I always expect to see my Kansas city Royal days. And I feel like I should get to every ball. And then once that stops happening, um, that gets, um, that gets tough, but man, my time playing baseball, I feel like, you know, I was a player for the fans and everywhere I went, I signed my autographs. I took care of them. I included them. Like when we won in Boston, um, we're going to a Patriots game and I have the world series trophy and um, they want me to walk this fine line. And I'm like, man, these fans have never experienced a world series uh, trophy. So I'm standing there. They're all touching it. We're all taking pictures and I feel like the fans um, deserve it. And anytime I did my signings, I would have my world series rings and let people like feel them and see how great they are and um, know how proud we are because I mean, us players couldn't do it without the fans. And that's a difficult thing that's going to happen. If there's uh, baseball with no fans out there, I mean, they are so important, especially for baseball. Johnny, these days, do you wear the 04 Red Sox ring or the 09 Yankee ring? Well, the 04 Red Sox ring does not fit on this, um, my ring finger that I snapped off <laughs> diving back into a bag uh, years ago. So the Yankee ring goes right here on my middle finger perfectly. And uh, 
whenever I do events, I try to bring both of them. And whenever I do signings, um, I bring both of them, but not if I'm in New York, I'm only bringing my Yankee ring. And if I'm in Boston, I'm only bringing my Boston ring, but everywhere else I'll bring them both with me. Now, Johnny, before we get to 2009, one chapter of your career that I've always been pretty interested about, um, because you have a lot of great, great performers here on Broadway who experience some career crossroads where they start to question uh, whether or not they want to continue a very grueling profession, despite their skill set being as strong as ever. Uh, you know, Kate Rockwell came on this show and talked about that, Robin Herter. Uh, and after some self-reflection, they've gone on to experience some of their greatest career milestones. Going into 07, you had a great first year in New York. You were smack in the middle of your prime. Joe Torrey wrote in his book that you were contemplating retiring from the game. If that's true, what was going on at that time that made you consider leaving the game when, as we saw later, you had so much left to give? Yeah, um, I was contemplating retiring. Uh, we just had our baby girl, Devin. And, you know, a few of my former teammates uh, passed during the offseason. Uh, Corey Lido in uh, um, the plane crash and uh, Josh Hancock uh, with the Cardinals. I was with him and uh, um, Boston. And I believe it was Tony Gwynn and Kirby Puckett also passed, you know, a couple years after they are finished with playing baseball. And I knew baseball was a very important part of my life. Um, but it wasn't the most important. The most important was making sure I lived the best life that I could, um, taking care of my family. Um, you know, my friends always called me up and said, can you go fishing? Um, and it's during the summer. I was like, no, I get no days off. And they're like, no, just tell them you're going to take a day off. And I'm like, so I missed out on having a summer. And when you play baseball and you come from the state of Florida, you never have a summer. I mean, you're constantly just playing baseball. And ever since I was 13 years old, never had a summer to enjoy the beach, to enjoy uh, going to the mountains um, or anything. But I knew that I was a very good baseball player. I had a commitment to uh, my boys in Orlando from my neighborhood because they all said that I'm going to make it and I'm going to be a star. So that's who I played for. And like at the end, when my career was um, winding down, I feel like I had two or three years left and I wanted to play, but the teams look at your age, um, but they don't look at um, your genetics. You know, my genetics are freakishly, like when I was 13 years old, I was 6'1", 180 pounds, benching 300 pounds and just all natural and fast. And so I wanted to keep playing for my fans. You know, they wanted to see 3,000 hits. They wanted to see 600 doubles. And me personally, I want to see championships and winning. And towards the end, I wasn't getting that opportunity to play for those teams. We did make a run with Tampa Bay, but playing for my fans. And they've always been very important to me. And, um, like I could care less about getting to 3000. It would have been nice, but um, I wanted to do it for all the great fans I have. Now, Johnny, I talked about spark plugs earlier um, and you certainly led by example 
by the way you played the game. But when you got to the Yankees, it was a pretty uh, – that clubhouse had a lot of big personalities. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Was, did you did you naturally become a leader in that clubhouse because of you know some of the past success that you had and what you did on the field? Or was it, a, you know, a, to my understanding, maybe like a bit of a tense environment with some of the personalities and you really had to work at – at that type of standing in the clubhouse, what what went on behind the scenes there in the uh, early Yankee years? Yeah, you definitely had to uh, uh, work your way in because, I mean, you got the captain, Derek Jeter. Um, didn't say much, but when he did, you're like, okay, let's go. Uh, Mariano, best pitcher of all time. And your catcher is always your team captain. So you have Posada and then, you know, Giambi, who I was with in Oakland, and he was like the best teammate ever. You know, he would give you the shirt off his back. And, you know, just being with him again, he, he was still that great leader. And then, you know, you have A-Rod, a guy that I've known since I was 14 years old and accomplished so many great things in baseball. And, you know, he's, he's there. I mean, so you have a bunch of leaders um, on the Yankee team, I, I felt like I started becoming more of a leader when things started happening. Like Giambi became a free agent. Um, we brought up a lot of the young guys like Milky and Gardner. And, you know, I was in charge of those guys. Like those guys, like we knew what to do. We knew how to rally around each other, pick each other up, communicate. And so, I mostly became a leader to the outfield crowd and just the way I played the game, the respect that I got from the coaching staff, uh, from Kevin Long to Rob Thompson to uh, um, Girardi. I mean, uh, I definitely felt like I was a uh, pseudo captain. You know, you can never replace Derek Jeter, but I felt very strong about my place with the team. Now, we're going to touch on Johnny's signature season and moments as a New York Yankee. But before we do, we're going to take a short break. It's time for the seventh inning stretch. Stay tuned. Now, Johnny, this version of the seventh inning stretch may be a bit different from your playing days. I'm sure if you were due to hit that inning, you might be heading down to the cages, taking a few extra cuts to make sure you're staying on your game. But I'm thinking instead of swinging at fastballs today, uh, we could see if you can hit a few trivia questions out of the park and become an official member of the break a bat winner circle. Absolutely. Please keep it to baseball questions. <laughs> <laughs> How about I don't want to embarrass myself. That's fair, Johnny. What we'll do is we'll ask you a few questions, half baseball, half Broadway. Get enough okay, of them well. right, and you'll join <laughs> the ranks of Abby Mueller, Kate Rockwell, uh, some real Broadway all-stars like yourself, and maybe even win a little prize. All right. Sounds great. Johnny, you're part of a great lineage of world champion Yankees to wear number 18. Which of the following Yankees is not in that lineage? Is it Scott Brocious, Don Larson? Or Lou Pinella? Lou Pinella. Ding, ding, ding. He's one for one. He started off many games like that as a player, Broadway folks. I just want to give everyone uh, some insight into that. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Let's, uh, let's see how you do on the Broadway. All right. Disney Theatrical has adapted a number of their films into Broadway productions. Which of the following Disney films has yet to be adapted for Broadway? Is it A, Muppet Treasure Island, B, Beauty and the Beast, or C, 
Frozen. Muppet Treasure Island. I mean, ding, ding, ding. He's two for yeah, two. Yeah, okay. Cool. It's <laughs> scaring me with Frozen because I go to Disney on Ice every year with my kids and I, I could swear that they have it because they're trying to sell the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. One of Broadway's longest running shows of all time, Wicked, retells some events from which classic 1930s film involving a couple um, of witches? That's, uh, why, why do you draw, draw a blank when, uh, um, it's, uh, the wizard of the balls. Correct. Ding, 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 <laughs> yeah. Johnny. All right. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. How'd you pull that out of your head? Well, I should have remembered it right away, but you know, whenever I hear questions, I'm kind of like, you want to make sure you're right. So I know Wicked because my wife took my daughter, Devin, to go see Wicked when I was doing Celebrity Apprentice. Wonderful. And yeah. uh, here's the last one for you. Who holds the record for fastest fastball in Major League history? Well, they talk about Bob Feller, but I've got to think of Rodas Chapman. I mean, I've seen a couple hundred, five hundred, six mile per hour pitches, and I'm sure he threw 110 before. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. With all the extra off-season work, you might be able to throw 110. And uh, you are absolutely right, Johnny. And to officially welcome you to the baseball and Broadway community, I'd like to welcome you with this Chapman on Broadway long sleeve t-shirt. Uh, nice. Breaking that logo. So Chapman, I guess because he uh, he's a little theatrical, he has, you know, some pizzazz about him. The Broadway okay. community has really taken a liking to him. And uh, nice. so we put him on the shirt. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great pitcher. I can't wait to see him uh, throw again this year. And uh, this year the Astros can't cheat. So, you know what? It could be the Yankees year. Johnny, how would your generation of players have handled that whole Astros incident? Would they be getting beamed left and right when you went to go face them? What, how would, uh, you know, let's say the, even the, Oh, nine Yankees have handled that. Well, the thing is, you really can't retaliate much or you get kicked out of the game. You get suspended. You lose pay. Um, I really think they should have taken the World Series away from them because there's a lot of players who ended up getting released and don't have a contract. Think about if you're a bullpen pitcher and you have a two, a two ERA and you go in and you give up a couple of runs for a relief pitcher, all of a sudden your ERA is around the five or six. Teams aren't looking at those guys in free agency. Um, and also think about veteran guys who couldn't get a job with the Astros because they're going through the way they cheat and the guys who like respected the game and didn't cheat that way. Yes, we try to um, steal signs when we're on the field, but you don't have people off the field working. I mean, you're trying to see if a fastball is gripped like this. Uh, a lot of times a changeup, they widen their hand. So you pay attention to that curveballs, they turn their hand. So you pay attention to that stuff and you tell your teammates, but you don't have uh, flicking lights to tell you what pitch is coming. And the craziest thing is when Kershaw pitched, how many times they took that nasty slider of his, I would, take that slider all the time unless I had two strikes on me. So, and those guys benefited. Like, uh, Altuve won a MVP 
bunch of those guys got uh, contract extensions. Um, some guys who failed against them, they got less contracts going into the next year. So, I mean, a lot of stuff happened. I would probably say back in the 70s if that happened, there would be um, fights happening. But in today's day and age, it's uh, um, you really can't retaliate. But I, I feel for the teams and the players who um, lost to them. Let's talk 09, Johnny. You close out the old Yankee Stadium in 08. You know, you guys had missed the playoffs for the first time since 93. Team chemistry is so important to accomplishing a goal, both in baseball and in Broadway. And I know that you said going into 09, you started to take on more of a leadership role. And going into that offseason, it seems like there was also a real conscious effort by ownership to change the dynamic of the clubhouse. Uh, you know, they brought in CC and Tex and AJ. Uh, you had some real talented teams on paper from 06 to 08, but never made it past the first round of the playoffs. Um, did the, you see an immediate change in the clubhouse dynamic, you know, going into what would be a special 09 season, or did that kind of happen like during the season? Well, well, we struggled for most of the first half, but I was the recruit who landed CC because during the past season, I kept telling them, you know, we need you. I kept going after AJ Burnett because I knew we would be a better team with CC. But when you add AJ Burnett, you have a chance to win the World Series because when AJ Burnett got hot, he was the best pitcher in baseball. And then we saw CC's uh, uh, work when he was with Milwaukee in the playoffs. You know, he wants the ball. So um, that team was special. And then you had a guy like Teixeira who could catch any ball. Um, Jeter won another go glove because of Tex. I mean, obviously Jeter was great, but Tex was able to save a bunch of balls and uh, Jeter felt very comfortable throwing the ball to first base. So our dynamic as a team, um, you know, as soon as we got A-Rod back and we could put him in the four spot, um, that's when we started dumping people. I mean, we were doing a great job. I mean, we changed our lineup moved Jeter to lead off and moved me to second. And I talked to Girardi during spring training when um, Jeter was at the World Baseball Classic. And I was like, Derek gets on base a little bit more than me. I hit into a lot less double plays than him. Like he hits into 30 plus a year. I hit into maybe three. So right there, um, we have more opportunities. We've extended 27 innings already um and Jeter's a free swinger so if he sees a pitch he wants to hit in the very first pitch of the game he's going to swing now I'm a guy who can take to two strikes I was like one of the best two strike hitters um ever in the game so I could start working the pitchers even though Derek's made an out on the first pitch so our dynamic as a team just um, got so much better. And then you have Teixeira behind me where um, I don't really have to run as much because now we have the power hitter and Teixeira, then A-Rod, and then Cano. And so um, I still stole like 20 bases, but uh, Teixeira didn't want me running. He wanted that first base hole. And uh, we tied the Yankees record um, in our first year together for back-to-back -to -back home runs with six with tied Garrick and Ruth and all those at bats they had together. I mean, um, Teixeira and I, we were absolutely rolling and thumping teams, uh, um, with our ability to hit for extra bases. 
Johnny, I was at one of those games, Sunday night baseball in August against the Red Sox. You hit the homer to tie it, and then Tex hit one to take the lead. I'll never forget that. And uh, Yeah, that was a linea. I mean, Daniel Bard was nasty, and, he, you know, I just dropped the barrel on that bat, and it shot out of um, the field in a hurry. You know, I know one of our pitchers just gave up a couple runs the inning before, and I told him, I was like, don't worry, bro, we got you. It was amazing, Johnny. And, you know, from a power perspective, you really did have one of your best seasons that year. And, you know, you were still contributing big time on the base paths. Um, I will say that, you know, when I look back on that whole postseason run, you're one of the first guys I think of for a lot of reasons. Um, it seems like, you know, you were such a spark plug, like I mentioned before, that the crowd really did feed off of you. And I don't know if it was because the stadium was still new at that point. I'm sure the team's success had a lot to do with it. But the one time where the ballpark really carried over um, some of that magic from the old place was throughout that 09 playoff run. Yeah. All those dramatic games, so many different plot points on so many levels. And you yourself had that phenomenal postseason. You hit 300 with a couple homers in the ALCS, that big one in game six. Uh, then, of course, that that epic World Series performance. You want to talk about baseball theater to this day. One of my favorite moments as a Yankee fan. Ninth inning, game four of the 09 World Series. Two outs, game's tied. Java blew the lead the inning prior. You single to keep the inning alive. What's going through Johnny Damon's head as a performer when he's standing on first base and about to cause absolute chaos on the base pass to spark one of the most memorable victories that I can remember? Yeah, what's going through my head is we have to win this game and I have to score a run because the Phillies just came back on us and they have momentum and the fans have momentum. Litch, you know, struck out the first two hitters and I battled my butt off to uh, get that base hit and there's no time to wait. Like I can't have Tixera take a strike and then end up going. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go now. And the whole season I had thoughts of taking third base um, because they do play the shift on Teixeira. And, you know, I know it's a lot easier to score from third base than second base. And I've always been a heads up uh, player, even though I um, called the Red Sox a bunch of idiots and, you know, and I was a main guy. I, I've known how to play the game since I was a little kid. And I know um, that being on third base, I can score on an infield single, a wild pitch, um, you know, many ways. And, you know, it just happened to be in the World Series and, you know, something that we're going to remember for a long time. Johnny, to this day, I'll never understand why they didn't bring you and Matsui back after that. Yeah, crushing. Like, I... Uh, really wanted to come back and, you know, they ended up offering a contract and I just wanted to um, talk a little bit. And my agent's like, you only have five minutes to take it. And I was like, what, like, why do I have five minutes? Like, let's, let me see what they're thinking because they, they wanted to cut my salary in half. And I was like, why don't we cut it by 30%? You know, I'll, I'll be happy with that. I know, I'm getting older. Um, my outfield isn't as great as it was. So I was saying, okay, 30% cut and then Nick Johnson signed. And I'm like, man, yeah, he might have a great on base uh, percentage, but 
I can score from anywhere. And I was team leader and I was guy like, I don't know, winning the World Series and all of a sudden you're you're out. But I get it. It's a business and it really stinks. Um, but, you know, I get it. And they haven't won since. And that's the shame of it because Matsui and I, like, you never had to change the lineup. So with a right-hander or left-hander, the lineup was the same the entire time. You know, they end up replacing us with uh, uh, Gardner and Grandison. And, yes, very good players. But they hit one and two against the right-hander. And then with the left-hander, they'll hit six and nine or one would play and one won it. And so your lineup changes every single day. And I tell you, that is super hard as a player, even though the um, – Baseball nerds, uh, sabermetrics guys, they think it shouldn't matter, but it matters a lot. Yeah, you know, Johnny, the game has a heartbeat. And it seems like, especially going into that 2010 offseason, the team really lost sight of that. Like you said, they might have cited Nick Johnson's on base percentage. The guy didn't play his whole career. Uh, You had some close friends on that team, you know, after you left. Did anyone ever give you any insight as to what it was like after you left the Yankees and how they just couldn't get it done from 10 to 12? Yeah, it was strange, and I I knew um, why they couldn't get it done. I wasn't there. Matsui wasn't there, and at least one of us should have been there. Um, but you just had a different um, feel for them. Because like, even at the end of regular season games, uh, when I was coming up, I hardly ever made the last out in the game because I, I keep battling and you always got to go that bat for me. And, and you miss out on that, you know? So it was difficult, um, but it's business, you know, the Yankees go on and, you know, I, I go to Detroit, which is a great place. I had a lot of friends there like Kid Rock and uh, Chris Chelio. So got to hang out with them for an entire season but yeah, I, I missed uh, being in New York. And uh, so, yeah, it was a great time. The fans still love you here, Johnny. It's been nice to see that in retirement, you've been so closely affiliated to the organization. Listen, I don't want to speak for Yankee Nation, but I think that we consider you a Yankee more than a Red Sox. How does Johnny Damon feel about that? Is he a Yankee or is he a Red Sox? Well, I'm glad I, I was able to inspire in both cities I tell people Boston is like a ex-girlfriend where you wish them well and um, you love being a part of it. But you know what? Um, you move on. Um, your life gets great. Um, you marry your trophy wife and you have six more kids. You know, So that's what New York was for me. And uh, I appreciated everything with Boston. And I, and I feel for them. I feel for the fans. Um, because even now, they just got rid of their best player, Mookie Betts. And like it always happens for Boston. Like Yankee players aren't necessarily leaving if they don't have to. Yankee players are going to stay. But Boston, um, when I came over to New York in 2006, there were only six guys left from the 2004 Red Sox team that people w- would never think. And, you know, they always look at me saying, how could you? How could you? I was like, well, all my guys are gone. I was the third guy from the Red Sox to go to the Yankees uh, from the championship team. So um, unfortunately move happens and it's just 
bad for the fans. And um, hopefully it works out for both teams. And I feel like it did work out with me leaving Boston. You know, Ellsbury comes um, um, in New York where I, where I want to be. You know, I hit the game-winning home run and closed out the old stadium, got the first hit at the new stadium, won the last championship for George Steinbrenner. And, you know, I was at the right place right time in both places and obviously you have to create your um um create your worth and i feel like i showed it um my entire baseball career johnny before we do one last quick segment i do want to touch on some work you've been doing off the field going all the way back to your playing career that i admire so much can you tell the folks at home a little bit about the work that you do with the wounded warrior project yeah. Um, well, the Johnny Damon Foundation, um, the first couple of years I've had it, um, I've had it for 15 years now. We put two wounded warrior soldiers in brand new homes. And recently, the Johnny Damon Foundation is raising money and we broke ground on a new boys and girls club. So we're very excited about that. And, you know, these kids need a opportunity. Like I'm on the president's council for sports, fitness and nutrition and our biggest goal is to try to find ways where kids have an opportunity to play and a place to go. Um, obviously, we know we're in trying times, but sports has become only if you could afford to play. And we need um, big sponsors, big sports teams to uh, make sure these kids have a opportunity to show off what they got. And um, we are making terrific um strides and uh, regardless of political affiliation these kids need an opportunity it cost my mom 20 dollars to let me play baseball when i was a kid if you want to play baseball nowadays it's over a thousand dollars there's no way i could have a chance to play i think it's so great that you do that johnny and uh we'll certainly be sure to you know, put in the episode description where everyone can get more information. I definitely suggest that everyone checks it out. And um, Johnny, this is our last segment here. It's called Fastball Derby. Uh, think of it right. like the ninth inning. We'll ask you a question and you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Perfect. Let's go. All right. Favorite New York City meal? Oh, Scala Nutella. Nice. If you could be the lead in one Broadway show, what would it be? I would be the front man for Rock of Ages. <laughs> Stacy Jacks, I like that. Yeah. Tom Cruise did it well. I think you could do it well, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to beat Tom Cruise in uh, Tropic Thunder, though. <laughs> <laughs> that leads me to what's your all-time favorite film? Man, I love um, Tropic Thunder, but I love the Fridays. I love sports films and the last... Uh, great sports film I thought was Draft Day. Kevin Costner, uh, Costner uh, keeps on doing great work, and you know I cried, I smiled, I um, appreciated like the willingness and toughness of of athletes. I mean, it all looks like it's glory, and it is, but you know we have to sacrifice, and and you got to see that in the movie Draft Day. Toughest pitcher you ever had to face? You know, Tom Gordon always gave me a tough time throwing that 95 mile per hour fastball, 75 mile per hour curveball, and just a bulldog on the mound. Um, obviously, Mariano, 
he has one pitch and he just kept breaking my bats left and right, you know? So, uh, uh, greatest pitcher of all time. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, both guys were Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> How about a guy you owned? Guy own Vasquez, um, uh, Ricky Romero, um, Felix Hernandez. Um, you know, I, I did very good off of, uh, um, really good pitchers. I also hit Wakefield very well. And so, yeah, those four guys, uh, my numbers are, oh, Roy Holiday, um, hit him well, but I knew what to do, how they positioned me um, in the infield. I was like, I'm just playing pepper and I'm just going to hit a ground ball past them. And they kept finding a hole. <laughs> Your Desert Island album. Desert Island album. Um, Breaking Benjamin. Uh, is that what you're asking me? What what artist would, would I listen to? Yeah, uh, album, yeah. artist, song, anything is fun. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, Breaking Benjamin. It's uh, yeah, definitely my favorite band right now. Best team you played on that didn't win the World Series? Uh, the Oakland A's, uh, 2001. Um, we swept Arizona during that year, and then took a two nothing lead over the Yankees and. You know, Derek Jeter's flip play and all that stuff. So the 2001 A's. Proudest moment of your career? Winning the World Series for Boston. I mean, after 86 years, um, that's a tough title to beat. And the comeback and we changed people's lives forever. And that was uh, very special. And lastly... Best piece of advice anyone ever gave you and what was it? Uh, enjoy what you're doing. You know, enjoy your life. I love it, Johnny. And uh, listen, can't thank you enough for coming on today. When we're at the other end of this thing, we'll get you and the family up to Broadway, you know, fully break it into uh, the baseball and Broadway crossover world. And um, I can't tell you enough, man. It's just been such a privilege. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And we were planning on uh, spending a lot of time up in the Northeast this summer. It looks like we may have to wait next summer, but uh, but I hope everybody stays very safe. And uh, I mean, wow, crazy world. And, and I'm thinking about you. I, I love New Yorkers. I mean, they're just great people and uh, stay strong. And also New Jersey. I mean, incredible places to uh, live and to visit. So uh, you guys be safe. Thank you, Johnny. This is Al Malafronte signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. Be sure to visit and subscribe online at bpn.fm slash breakabat. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast and you can also find the broadway podcast network on instagram at broadway podcast network it's been so great having you here with us today and we'll see you next time have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels well here's your chance Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. 
Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 